You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. But today it is my joy to share God's word with you. So with that, let's go to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we open up God's word in the reading and studying of it. So let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for this church family. And I pray, God, that as we read your word and as we study it and as we look into it, God, I pray that it would change our hearts. I pray that it would change our minds. I pray that it would change our walk, how we live, what we do, what we say. Lord, may you change us to be more like you today. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So today we will be continuing our study in the book of James, entitled this series, Everyday Faith, How Faith Impacts Our Everyday Life. And so far we've seen from the book of James a lot of heavy-hitting topics and conversations. And so we're going to continue that in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So I invite you to turn there. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, I invite you to go to your pew Bible there in front of you. That is page 1013. So while you're turning there, I wanted to share with you a little bit of what God's been doing in my life, bringing uh, me to uh, share what I'm going to share with you today, is that when I sat down to study this passage this week and read over it a bunch of times, these six verses, man, these six verses, I realized something. James is a genius, for one, okay? He's just, he is, just compacts a lot into these six verses, But within these six verses, we also see a host of topics and themes that he has been talking about all throughout his letters thus far. And he compacts those main themes into these six verses, and he uses it as an antidote to address the problem of hostility within our hearts. And this is just the way my mind goes, but James is just boiling down all of the book of James into, it seems like, these six verses. And then immediately the thought that comes to my mind after this Maple syrup. That's how my mind works, okay? Have pity on me, all right? Maple syrup. That's the first thing I think of. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And why is that? And there's a story that comes with this, is that one time my dad was into making maple syrup, and he asked me, hey, you want to help me come out and make maple syrup? Okay, yeah, sure thing, dad. And so we go out so early in the morning. It's still dark. It's in the spring. It's still cold. There's still snow on the ground. And we're out making maple syrup. All right, so what does this entail? Has anyone ever made maple syrup before? Okay, like four, five, nice. All right, a lot more than I thought, cool. All right, so I hope I get this right, because I only did it once. Um, Anyway, go out in the woods. My dad had already started collecting all these buckets of, of maple tree sap, which looks a lot like water, okay? I thought it would be thicker, but it's really just water. And so we start collecting all these buckets, and then he gives me the job of making the hottest fire that I can possibly make. (laughs) Yeah, no problem, Dad. We'll have fun with that. So then we bring over all these buckets of water, maple tree sap, and then we start boiling them off. Here we go. Got a bucket here. So we bring all these buckets over, and the goal is to make this right? The maple syrup. This is Vermont maple syrup, so not Pennsylvania maple syrup, but whatever. You get the picture. Half gallon, right? 
The goal is to make as much of this as possible. And so all day long, we are just boiling off, boiling off, boiling off all these buckets of maple tree sap. And it's like, you just feel like you're watching water boil because that's what you're doing. You're just boiling water all day long, keeping the fire hot, keeping it going. But then we ran out of all the tree sap that we had collected for the day, and we're starting to boil it down. I'm starting to notice something. It's starting to bubble a little bit, bit differently, and it's starting to turn this darker color, and it finally boils down to that maple syrup that we're looking for. But you know what? It took all day, all day, to get just a little maple syrup. So for instance, just a little of trivia, okay? How many buckets, five-gallon buckets, do you think it takes to make a half-gallon? Ten? It's a little high, actually. Four. Four. It takes 20 gallons to make a half gallon. 20 gallons for this. So it makes, so it gets to the point now where I don't like giving the homemade maple syrup to my kids. <laughs> no, we don't have it. Why? Because you get Aunt Jemima, you know? <laughs> because they waste it, you know? Because they're like, glug, 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 glug. And then it's like, I, start, I turn into that mad dad who's like, there's like five gallons of maple tree sap there. You better eat that. Five. Wow. I get a little stingy. I'm sorry. All that to say this. James boils down these, the whole letter of James basically into these six verses and boils them down to this consolidated antidote for hostility. And James actually gives us this recipe for not maple syrup, but for a heart of humility. And you know what? It would be a shame to waste it. Be a shame to waste it today. So let's buckle up. Let's boil down this letter, these six verses together. Let me read all of it, and then we'll go and discuss it together. Follow along with me, starting in verse 7. It says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You see what I mean? There are eight commands within these six verses, three promises, and one recipe for us for a heart of humility. And so the first thing we see, going back to verse 7, is a place to place yourself under God's rule and protection. So within each of these main points that I've allotted for us to go over today, there's going to be a command, there's going to be a promise, and there's going to be a response for each one of them. So we are to submit, it says in verse 7, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the command here is quite simple. It's right in the beginning. It says submit to God and resist the devil. Now, submit is this military term which means to get in your proper rank. They say if you look at a military and you look at their ranking, if a buck private decides that he's going to try and act like a general, generally bad things are going to happen to him, right? 
he's going to be on KP duty for a long time. You know, he's going to be in trouble. And Tony Evans puts it this way. He says, to submit to God is to recognize your weakness, to stop fighting and to surrender to him as your ultimate and final authority. And what James is bringing up here is that to submit, it's a word we generally try to resist, right? But when we submit ourselves to God, we are submitting ourselves um, to what he has called us to. But if we decide not to submit to God, we are submitting to resisting God, the God who loves us. We need to remember what it says in just a verse prior to this. It says in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, God wants us to depend on his grace. Satan wants us to depend on ourselves. Satan enjoys inflating our ego and encouraging us to believe in ourselves that we can do it on our own because he knows then we are outside of the protection of God. When we submit ourselves, what I think is interesting, it says, notice that it puts the position on us. It says, ourselves, we come to a place to place ourselves under and submit under God's authority and rule. And that means that we get to be a part of God's team. And we get to experience the benefits of his power and his protection when we submit ourselves under his rule. And here we see the promise is that the devil will flee. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, it says. Now, in all of scripture, what we see, the devil is only known to flee one thing. And it's not you. It's not me. And it's not because we resist. He only flees one thing, and he flees the power of God's word. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, we see Jesus in the wilderness just after he had been baptized. He's there for 40 days and nights, and he's fasting. And Satan, at the end of this, comes and starts to tempt him. Three times he tempts him, and three times Jesus quotes scripture, and then Satan cannot stand it anymore and has to flee. See, our response to this is that we need to let the word of God rule over us and protect all around us. Let the word of God rule over us and protect all around us. And can I be honest with us today? I think we are kidding ourselves if we believe that having God's word, the Bible, in our house is enough to protect us from Satan, protect us from the attacks of the enemy. It's not enough to just own a Bible and have it on the shelf. Satan's not afraid of that. Satan becomes afraid when we submit ourselves to the ruling of God's word and to God. We experience the power and protection of God when we place ourselves under God's word, internalizing it, and then living it out. That's why James says in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see what James is saying here, what he said in chapter 1? He said, if you're just hearing the word of God and listening to it, maybe on a Sunday and you're not applying it, or maybe you read it for yourself, but you just listen to it and you don't actually follow it, then we're deceiving ourselves, we're tricking ourselves, we're falling into the trap. The word of God was meant to be put ourselves under the rule of it and let it direct and guide our lives. Because we cannot resist the devil if you haven't submitted to God. Submitting to God and resisting the devil, Tony Evans says, is a, like a two-sided coin. You have to be able to do both. It's the same coin. One side is submitting to God. The other side is resisting the devil. 
Paul also picks up this theme in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not in ours. The whole armor and put on the whole armor of God. That's right. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So if you are feeling today like you are under attack, spiritual attack, first of all, I want to encourage you and invite you to check out our sermon series on our webpage that we went over back in January on the armor of God. I was extremely blessed by it, and I would hope that you would be extremely blessed in that time as well. But that's on our webpage for you to go and listen to at any time. Again, that was back in January, and it was called the armor of God. But the second ingredient in this preparing a heart of humility is this, is to pursue a personal relationship with God. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 again. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So let's just focus on the first verse for a second. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It says, so this is the command. We need to be intentional in pursuing God. Now I looked up what intentional means according to Webster and I like how, it's, how it described it. It says, done on purpose. I like that. Intentional. Done on purpose. When we pursue God on purpose, we are able to experience the blessings of his presence. And I think this is why James says in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is saying, if you want this, if you want every good gift, if you want every perfect gift, if you want the, the Father of lights to shine on you, then we need to pursue him on purpose. How do we do that? How do we draw near to God? Where, like, where is God? Is he, it's invisible. How do, how do we find him? A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says this, and this helped me understand nearness to God. He says, nearness is likeness. The more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. The more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. And it's kind of like this. If I'm sitting at home on my couch with my dog on my lap, he's not a very small dog, but he thinks he's a lap dog. Loves to sit on my lap. My wife, however, is in the kitchen, and she's preparing something delicious, okay? So my wife's in the kitchen. My dog is on my lap. I am nearer to my wife right? Because we are more alike. We have the same likes. We are married to each other. We have the same children. We enjoy each other. My dog, on the other hand, does not look like me. <laughs> Sometimes he acts like me, but that doesn't mean that we are alike. Even though he is physically closer to me, my wife and I are nearer to each other and are more alike. So when we Nearness is likeness, and to draw near to God is to be transformed into his likeness. And God gives us this promise that if we draw near to him on purpose to be more like him, he will draw near to us. And this is that promise. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God will be personal and active in us. See, God's design and his desire, when we look at scripture, is that he wants to have a personal relationship with us. One that 
He loves to spend time with us, a personal relationship, because we are his prized possession. See, a lot of times, um, I hear this um, phrase a lot in youth ministry and just in life, and sometimes I feel it even myself, but the phrase, I feel like God is so far away. You ever thought that? I just feel like God is so far away. But the thing is that when we have this feeling, it's because one of two things might be going on. The first one is that we have the wrong view of God. We have the wrong view of God. We've believed a lie about God. And the second one is this. We are unwilling to confess our sin. And this is what James is bringing up here. This might be why we feel like God is far away. See, the promise of God's presence with us is connected with our response, this response in our lives. And James is bringing it out that our response needs to be to pray regularly with raw repentance. See if you can hear the rawness in these next two verses. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be sober, sorry, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What James is saying here is that sin needs to be taken seriously. I'm going to jump back to James 4.4. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, when we give in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, we reject God's plan to do life with God. We ignore his gifts of love for us. And we shut out his words of encouragement to us. James reminds us, though, God's desire is for us to be clean. It's for us to have the opportunity to be clean. That's why he says, going back to James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James is trying to be as clear as he can here. He's saying, draw near to God, want to be more like him. He will draw near to you, wanting to make you more like him. What I love about this is that notice God's presence comes before your purification. You cannot clean yourself up to make God love you anymore to make him draw near to you, but rather getting clean is a result of God's presence in your life. I think of it this way. When my family gathers around the table to eat, the one thing we all do before we come and we eat, well, there's two things, but anyway, <laughs> we wash our hands, right? My kids are in everything. If they're out in the yard, they're in the dirt, in the sandbox, touching everything, and it's just their hands are dirty, and so we need to wash our hands. But the girls, they're old enough, they can go wash their hands by themselves, but my son, he's, he's too young. He can't reach up there to wash his hands. And so what I have to do every time we stop to eat, say, Noah, come here, time to wash your hands. And he comes running over to me. I pick him up. I set him on the sink, and I have my arms around him, and I'm helping him wash his hands. But I was thinking about this today, and it's, it's kind of interesting, is that he is sitting up on the, on the sink with his knees like this and his hands like this, washing his hands like this, with my arms around him. This is how I picture coming to God in humility, is kneeling and being, having God's arms wrapped around us, and he is cleaning us up. He is making us more like him. And this is the prayer that James has for his people, that, we would, that they would be humble enough to come before him and let God 
in the presence of God, clean him up, clean them up. But James goes on to say that this process might bring tears. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, some of you might look at this verse and think that this is just the way Christians are supposed to be, right? Miserable. Not allowed to have any fun. No. That's not what it's saying at all because there's many more verses that talk about rejoicing always. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And later on in James chapter 5, it says, if anyone is happy, sing a song of praise. So we're supposed to be able to rejoice. This isn't the, the, the stamp of if you're a Christian, you're miserable, okay? But rather what this is saying is that the closer we get to God, the sadder we become for our sin. And I also think of it this way. As parenting, you want your kids to grow up to take responsibility for their own actions, right? You want them to grow up to have a thought process of how their actions affect other people. And you will constantly be talking to them about what you just did there really hurt that person's feelings. You need to go over and say sorry. Okay, and this is sometimes how it happens, right? Hey, I'm sorry. Can I go play with my toys now? Are they sorry? No, not really. But you're trying to instill in them that you need to think about the decisions you make because it hurts other people. It affects other people. And God designed us to be not herders of other people, but actually to love other people, right? That's why we were created and, and have community. But when they go and they come, say my, my son or my daughter come before me and they go, Daddy, you told me not to do this. I did it anyway and I broke, I broke it. And I'm really, really sorry. You forgive me. It's amazing when that happens because they get it, right? Of their own volition, they recognize that the decisions that they made hurt you. And because it hurts you and because they love you, it hurts them. And that's what James is saying here. Stop laughing at sin. Stop laughing at it and thinking that it's funny. But rather recognize how much it hurts your Heavenly Father, how much it hurts God. And that will indeed cause us to grieve cause us to be a little sad, to take sin seriously. David experienced this sorrow when he had committed sin and after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And in repenting, this is what he said. In, in Psalms chapter 51, verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, our emotions should be, shouldn't be forced. It needs to be genuine, but at the same time, when you are overcome with emotion for your sin, James is encouraging you to immediately take it to the cross, not to bottle it up, but to seek that forgiveness and then obtain it. All right, and finally, our last um, ingredient, our last recipe, I should say, for a heart of humility is to put your success in God's hands. James chapter 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And the command here is to lower yourself before God. And we have to stop and think, what grounds does James have to come and to give us this command, okay? I want you to think about this. James has an interesting connection to Jesus. Historians and commentators agree that this is indeed the, the brother of Jesus. 
But James doesn't boast about this at all, about his position and who he is as Jesus' Jesus' brother. But instead, in James 1.1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, James has already adapted this teaching from God, uh, teaching from Jesus, and he recognizes that with it comes a great promise. And this is the promise that God will exalt you. And I think if we stop for a moment and we, and we look around, I think we could all see that much hostility, much hate, and much harm has been caused by people's pride, right? Of just trying to get ahead. We'll say whatever we need to say behind a person's back to make them look bad so that we can get ahead in others' eyes, maybe even in our own eyes. And we'll attack and we'll attack and we'll fight so that we can be exalted ourselves and be lifted up and be above other people. But the Bible is very clear that that's not the way we're supposed to be. And the interesting thing is, is that the most humble person to have ever lived is also the most exalted. Look at Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11. It'll be up on the screen. See if you can figure out who we're talking about here. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, there it is, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This comes to this one thing for today, is that when humility is applied, God is glorified, and we are satisfied. When humility is applied, God is glorified, and we are satisfied. Because when we apply these principles that James is bringing up today, when we submit to God, when we resist the devil, when we draw near to God, when we cleanse our hands, when we purify our hearts, when we humble ourselves before God, this is all stuff we've talked about already. We glorify God, which is our chief purpose and the reason why we exist, why he created us is so that we could be his image bearers and glorify him on earth. We glorify God, and then we are satisfied when he exalts us. We leave our exaltation to God and not to ourselves. But what does exaltation mean? Very specifically, it means to lift up and to show honor. But exaltation, also I want to share, does not promise that you will be financially blessed, that you will be physically healed or removed from hardship. But this is what I believe. I believe it is left vague for a reason. Because the God of heaven, our heavenly father, loves to give good gifts. He loves to give good gifts. What we've seen in prior passages is that he is the father of lights. And every good and perfect gift comes from him. And in verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, God gives more grace. See, when he exalts the humble... He will do so in whichever way he chooses. And it is a reward that we can count on, one that we can look forward to, and one that we should desire to lower ourselves before the Lord to allow him to exalt us. And here is our final response to putting your success in God's hands, and that is this. Don't speak evil of others. Verses 11 through 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, 
and he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And here is the final exam to humility. Here's the taste test to see if your, your humility, your maple syrup is ready. Rate your humility in how you speak to others. I have to be honest with you guys this week. This one cut me. This one cut me hard. In Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And sometimes there needs to be some cutting in our lives to remove what I have put in there, what we have put in our, whole, our hearts. So I, this one was hard for me to wrestle with this past week. I do love how James puts it. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Because truth of the matter is, is that we were designed to honor God with our lives, to love others more than ourselves. And when we go out and we talk bad about somebody else or we judge somebody else, what we're saying is that the law that God has given us, the love that he has given us, the design that he has given us as believers in Christ to love others more than ourselves, we're saying, God, nope, not a good idea. I'm going to play God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pronounce judgment. This person isn't worth saving. Or this person is being ridiculous. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to practice good Christian discernment, but at the same time, we are not given the opportunity to pronounce judgment. And I believe that we need to have this practice and this saying in our lives. There but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. Meaning, I could be them. Those people that you're talking bad about, you could be them, or worse, apart from the grace of God, right? God has saved us, and God has brought us to the place where we are, and, and who are we to judge and, and say that someone else is worse than us? So as I close, I just want to wrap up by boiling down all of these things with that saying, when humility is applied, God is glorified, and we indeed are satisfied. So James has given us this recipe, a recipe for a heart of humility. He has boiled these six verses down masterfully so that we can purpose in our hearts to produce humility, maple syrup. What I thought interesting was that humility and maple syrup have a lot in common in this way. Much like maple syrup, it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time to produce humility. This isn't something that you can go to your store later today and produce, you know, by humility. That's the one thing about the difference there. It's one that has to be fostered and produced within our own lives. Humility also takes a constant boiling off of the water of worldliness in our lives. If you want this, you need five of these to be boiled off. It takes a good time for that to take place. It takes a consistent desire to put yourself in that place to allow God to refine you, to clean you, to boil off what is not him. Till what is left is the pure, tasty, sugary goodness of maple syrup. In this case, sweet humility. And you know what, church? It is well worth the work. It is well worth the effort. 
God is with us. He says that he draws near and he is present with us. But I think the best part of this is, is that humility is different than maple syrup and that maple syrup is typically used just for breakfast, right? Unless you're Buddy the Elf, then you put it on your spaghetti, right? I know. I cringe every time I saw that. It's like, ah, so much sugar. We love it on our pancakes. We love it on our French toast and waffles. But humility is to be poured on everything. Humility is to be poured on everything. So now what? Well, maybe we need to submit ourselves to God today. Maybe we're trying to fight the devil on our own. Maybe we need to stop and take a moment today in a quiet place and talk to God about surrender. Maybe there's things we need to give up today. Maybe we need to be intentional about pursuing God and being like him. You know what? We, maybe we need to pick up our Bible during the course of the week on purpose with a notepad next to us and write down those verses that stand out to you and how you would desire to apply them. Maybe we need to do that on purpose. Maybe we need to stop speaking negatively or judging others based upon how they look or how they act or what they say or what they do or how they don't measure up. And take a moment to humble our own hearts before God and confess those sins, maybe even with tears. Whatever it may be, will you let God in? That is a choice for us. Will you let God in? Will you draw closer to him today? And I pray you will. I pray we will. And I do pray that our world would see the life change that takes place in us as we draw closer to God. So I'd like to invite the praise team up at this time. I'm going to pray us out in this time in God's word. God, I pray that you would just continually boil off what is not you. I pray that you would create in us a sweet humility, God, that would change our lives. And Lord, this is, this is a long race. This is not a sprint. This is something that takes time. This is something that James is talking to his church about, desiring to see it effective in them. And Lord, I pray that we would see it effective in us as well. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the, the boldness of it as James has shared. Um, but God, I pray that you would be with us as we desire to become more like you, as we draw near to you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.